this you? Yeah. It's been great meeting you, Neil. It really has. Again, I'm sorry if I caused you any trouble. Oh, no, you didn't cause me any trouble. You got me home. And uh, a little late. A couple days. But uh, I'm a little wiser, too, so. Me, too. Happy holidays. Thank you. Welcome to Narratively Speaking, the podcast that explores the power of story in all its forms, its role in society, and how it helps to shape the ideas we think we believe in. I'm your very much work in progress host, Harv. I hope you're having a wonderful holiday period, wherever you may happen to be. You should be off work by now, so I imagine you on an island somewhere, sipping pina coladas out of a, a emptied out coconut. Uh, with some kind of strange umbrella contraption that no one really needed, but everybody loves sticking out of it, and possibly complaining that it doesn't have enough rum in it. I've spiked my coffee, so, uh, you know, we're going to be having a good time here. I haven't had a sip of it yet. It'll probably taste awful, because I can't afford the top-shelf whiskies. However, I make do with what I have, you know? Um, it's not a sob story. It's just my life. But if you do happen to be one of the lucky ones on an island in a bikini, I don't wear a bikini. Um, and if you're male, you probably don't. But if you do, no judgment. Um, I just prefer that image, if that's okay with you. Anyway, if you are one of those lucky ones, this podcast isn't really about you. Um, you're going to be fine. You're going to have a good Christmas. You're probably going to spend it with family and friends, eating turkey, gulping down eggnog. What is eggnog? I don't know. It's egg and a drink made with egg. But you're going to be awesome. You don't need to worry about Christmas. But Christmas itself is just a story, isn't it? It's depending on the angle that you come from. It's either the story of Christ and, uh, you know, the three wise men and all that stuff, the nativity scene thing, um, birth of Christ, good stuff. But is Christmas really about the birth of Christ anymore, except in vague symbolism? I mean, yes, there's a star on my Christmas tree, which I can see across the way here because I record from my living room. I don't have a Christmas tree in an expensive sound recording booth, although that might be cool one day. So yeah, the star, uh, obviously symbolic of the, I don't know, the star that the wise men followed or whatever it was. Uh, I know there's a name for it. Was it the morning star? No, that that's, I think that's Satan. So it's lucky I never became a priest, isn't it? I'd be just up there rambling and, uh, and saying stupid stuff. And uh, the congregation would spend the whole time correcting me. But yeah, I just wanted to take a moment to, you know, pause and reflect on how lucky those of us are that do have this, you know, nice family-oriented, gift-oriented, food-oriented Christmas break. 
not to uh, wallow in the sadness of people who don't, because we don't want to ruin our Christmas to do that. We can do that when we're already depressed. You know, why why waste a happy period thinking about the uh, underprivileged? But I don't think you actually need to be underprivileged for Christmas to have an effect on you, because the story of Christmas has changed. If, if it ever really was focused on religion, um, I think it's pretty clear by now it's not a Christian holiday anymore. It's a retail holiday. And like most retail events, it's driven by story. And it's not the story of Christ that we need to be concerned with here. Uh, it's the story of consumerism. Um, and I think, you know, you read a lot of stats about how sad people get during the Christmas period and how it's the highest suicide rates of the entire year. Um, do a bit of reading. You can debunk that immediately. In fact, Christmas sees a um, quite a decline in suicide rates in uh, Western countries, at least, where it's been studied. But I think anecdotally, we all understand that the story of Christmas and the pressure to give gifts and joy and buy food and be excessive in general, that story tends to magnify the negative side of your emotions. Uh, if you have perhaps some depression or a feeling a little bit inadequate, there's nothing like the pressure of not being able to buy uh, the right Tonka truck for your nephew or something like that to really drive home, you know, how uh, shit everything is, essentially. That wasn't how I was intending to put that. I was intending to be a bit more poetic, but there it is. So I'm not really planning to uh, make this, uh, this podcast, you know, to any kind of format or stick to any kind of script. Uh, not that I script any of the podcasts, and uh, I would try to convince you of that if I thought it wasn't immediately apparent by the lack of quality in the podcast. However, yeah, um, I'm just going to, uh, you know, wing it, wing it. It's Christmas. Uh, I thought I'd do a bonus episode. This is in episode 19. Episode 19 is all planned out. And uh, it's, it's, sorry, there's a lot of background noise from my uh, girlfriend there. Uh, she is streaming at the moment. Um, and I think she may have mistaken the T in streaming for a C because she is literally screaming right now down down her microphone. So um, if you can hear that uh, uh, chipmunk sounding thing in the background, that is her. And I don't mean to be flippant. She has a beautiful voice when she's not yelling at me. Can you hear that? Fucking amazing. So I'm not going to cut this or edit it. I don't care how long it goes for. If it's five minutes, it's five minutes. That's all you get. I'm not going to try and make it 30 minutes exactly or try and wrap it up in any kind of meaningful way. I'm just going to riff a bit on Christmas. So Christmas is a commercial holiday, which means it's driven romantically by marketing, marketing forces. Um, and I think the reason why uh, people get depressed during Christmas is that marketing relies on making you feel like something is missing or that you're having a negative emotion and then linking their product 
to the solution of that problem. So it's basically problem, reaction, solution, uh, but, you know, in, in a socially acceptable form. You know, it's not like creating a false flag and going to war, but in a way it is. It's kind of uh, going to war on a population. And I think the advertising industry knows this and they exploit it and capitalize on it quite consciously. But we can't get mad at the advertising people because they're just doing what capitalism requires of them, which is creating perpetual growth. Because perpetual growth in our economy is necessary for it to function. And for perpetual growth, you must have perpetual, needless, useless, pointless consumption. And that's essentially what Christmas is. As much fun as it is, as much as we enjoy it, as much as the social aspect is key. You know, for some people, it's the only time you see your family for the whole year. Um, you know, it's as much as it does all of that, it is also excessive and pointless. That's right, I am a little on the cynical side. However, it's kind of true, right? Like this year, um, uh, our Christmas party at my sister's place is having a Kris Kringle where everybody buys a gift up to around the same value and gives it to a stranger without any credit or particular thought for that stranger. Now, our Kris Kringle is, I don't know if it's a Kris Kringle or a Secret Santa. I don't know what the difference is between these things, but this is the one where you get a name. So you know who you're buying for, which of course is a nice thing. Of course, it's you know part of the, the process of gift giving is thinking of something specific for that person that they'll enjoy. And that thought is what creates the human connection and knowledge of each other that bonds us. So it still preserves that part of the gift giving process. But you know what happened in my <laughs> particular case? I drew my sister's brother-in-law and I got a text a few days later and my sister said she'd already bought the gift that he wanted and that I owed her 40 bucks. So my whole process of uh, choosing the perfect gift for my brother-in-law was robbed from me in a way. Um, it was also a relief. He's very, very hard to buy for, and that's why she did it. She's not evil. She's not anti-Christmas. She's no Grinch. She's no Scrooge. She just was trying to help me out. But I just thought it was an interesting example of how you can take something and actually just remove all of the positives of it. Now it's just a commercial transaction. There is nothing else to that interaction. When he gets his wheel clamp thing or whatever it is, I won't even know what it is that I gave to him. I don't even know what that's for. Some kind of wheel clamp. I don't know. You know, it's, I'm glad that he's getting something he wants though. So there it is. Christmas ruined. Thanks, sis. I'm getting a spice rack. I know because I sent a photo of it to my sister and whoever's drawn me in the Kris Kringle will get what I have commanded. So I guess I did the same thing to that poor soul. Um, but it was on request, I believe. My sister said uh, that the person was struggling, trying to find something for me. So I just saw that spice rack there, 40 bucks, and uh, thought, you know, That'll do. And 40 bucks, the limit was 50. So, you know, she saved herself 10 bucks there. And I say she, not knowing who it is. Um, but I just imagine it 
as a woman, just like I did imagine you as a woman in a bikini on a beach. But let's not go there again. So given all of this complexity to this retail holiday we call Christmas, is it any wonder a few people get a little bit depressed during the holiday period? You know, those who have been cunts all year and have no friends, for instance, you know, maybe you're like that. Maybe you're making enemies everywhere you go and you're blaming them for it. Well, no, just stop being a prick. You know, you'll, you'll do a lot better. Try to be a bit nicer to people. That's the social contract. It's not that hard. You just need to get out of your head a bit, have a bit of empathy. You can learn that too. I've proven it. And, uh, you know, be nice, be good to each other. It's not that, not that difficult. But there are people who, through no fault of their own, end up being uh, friendless and familyless at Christmas time. And that's got to hurt because everybody else seems to be enjoying themselves. And this whole thing's probably magnified by social media and pictures of beautiful Christmas trees and lights and presents underneath and hot girls in skimpy elf costumes with really short skirts. They look cute, but you can still see the bottom of their their bums. I don't know, whatever else people do. Warm fireplaces. Not in Australia, though. We don't even have, you know, it's not cold. It's quite warm here. It's summer. Don't, don't light your fireplace. It's bushfire season, you fucking irresponsible jerk. But... Uh, yeah, the, the people who, who have um, no one to spend Christmas with, I honestly, I wish I could invite you to my place, um, but I don't trust you. I think you'd steal stuff. So, you know, that's that's all me, by the way. I don't know if you're a thief. You're probably, probably very nice and honest. You're probably more honest than me in a lot of ways. Don't know why I'm so harsh on you, really. Don't know you. So... Um, well, I know some of you, some of the people who listen to this, I guess, and you guys are thieves, the ones I know. Yeah, you you know you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I think perhaps I'm just joking around to avoid getting to the point of this podcast, which is people who are depressed during the holiday period need a bit of help from those of us who have it good and it's not necessarily people who are obviously underprivileged. It's not people who are living under bridges uh, or, you know, begging on the streets necessarily. Depression can affect anyone in any walk of life. Um, even the evil elites who rule over us probably suffer from depression, but that's because they're, they're destroying the planet. You know, I mean, they've got pretty good reasons to be depressed. Um, depressed people are often quite good at hiding it. And I know this firsthand. I had a friend nine years ago, my best friend, Tim, who committed suicide. It was actually on the 2nd of December. So next year will be the 10th anniversary of uh, that event. And it still, um, it still plays on my mind today. And the reason it does is because Tim was, uh, he had a very good job. Uh, he was living, you know, jet setting around the world, taking great holidays, living exactly the way everyone thought he wanted to live and certainly the way a lot of us wished we could live 
lot of times I was running to catch up to keep up with Tim and he would <laughs> subsidize plane trips and things to try and help me uh, be in the same place as him and experience some of the amazing things he was experiencing. Not all of it's strictly legal, um, but that's what made it fun. But you often hear people who, who've had friends who've committed suicide saying, oh, you know, um, no one could tell. Uh, he seemed fine. I saw him the day before. Um, and, you know, no one had any hints that he was thinking suicidal thoughts and that he was planning this. Um, but that's not my story. My story with Tim is uh, that he, uh, that I knew what he was going to do. Um, I knew, I think, a week before. Um, I was in Singapore at the time. We shared a house in the Philippines, but he came to visit me in Singapore the week before, and we planned a trip. We were going to go and uh, go to a beachside area in the Philippines when we were both back there. Um, it was going to be the day after he committed suicide, we planned it for. And after we booked our flights uh, and planned it all out, uh, he pulled me aside and he showed me uh, a website with a picture of uh, this gun, this uh, uh, revolver thing. Uh, it was like a, a gangster pistol, you know, it had like a, a chrome handle and a you know, chrome and black all the way through. And I was like, what's this? Are you, you know, is this like 50 cents gun or something like that? And he said, no, I've bought one of those uh, in the Philippines. And I said, well, why would you buy like a gangster gun? That's kind of weird. I said, it's very pretty, but we don't, you know, we're from Australia. We don't collect guns. We don't have a gun culture. What do you, what's it for? And he said, well, it's, you know, there are some kids stealing water from our water tank. Uh, at the house in the Philippines, and uh, we're just going to use it to scare them. You know, I probably won't even load it. I uh, probably won't even buy bullets. We'll just scare the kids with it, you know, and, and they won't come back, hopefully. And I said, well, how much does it cost? And he said, it's like $6,000. I said, well, it's a bit of a expensive way to get rid of a, a bunch of kids. You could probably piff a couple of rocks at them or whatever, and, and they would go away, you know, for free. Uh, or you could just let them take the water because that will never cost $6,000. You know, uh, water's cheap. Uh, you know, it's not like we're setting up rain tanks here or anything. And uh, and he said, yeah, well, I, you know, if you're going to buy a gun, you might as well get a cool one. And uh, there was a processing going on in my head when we were having this conversation that was separate from the conversation itself. And... Uh, you know, he, he showed me the gun and uh, all of that stuff. And then he went and he sat down at his computer um, and he'd just broken up with, uh, with his girlfriend at the time. But um, that was not out of the ordinary. That would happen quite frequently. And I remember I was ironing a shirt for going to work the next day, um, you know, and I couldn't drink with him and I couldn't do anything really because I had to get up early. And I just turned to him and I said, you know, suicide is an extremely selfish act. And uh, people who do it are pricks and all they're doing is hurting the people they leave behind and it's disgusting and you should be ashamed of yourself if you're thinking about that. And it was almost like hearing someone else talk, but there was something that snapped in my head that said, probability is after all of this input that you've just experienced, 
that this gun is going to be used for suicide and not for running off kids who are stealing water from the water tank. Um, and I just, I just said it out loud before I even thought about it. And, you know, Tim was a master pretender. He was uh, very good at putting on a face. And he said to me, Harvey, you know, um, what, what do you think I am? Some sort of child? Like I would never do that. You're, you're insane. That's ridiculous. And I think in retrospect, I look back on it and I think he knew he was giving me plausible deniability. He was giving me uh, enough doubt that I could not have to take responsibility for what he was going to do. Because I think it was clear, at least in retrospect, and probably even at the time, he was there to say goodbye to me. And I really do regret that we didn't have a drink together and we didn't, I don't know, talk about other things. I probably, if I'd, if I could do it again, I don't think I would have mentioned the fact that I knew he was going to kill himself because I know that, and I knew at the time too, that I wasn't going to be able to stop him. There was no rational argument and there is no rational argument to stop someone from killing themselves if they've got their mind set on it. It's not a rational thing. There is no rational thought that leads to suicide. It's a feeling. It's a deep depression. It's, it's a pain. And I don't say that knowing it, but I know people who've felt it and that's how they describe it. It's a ball in your stomach that just won't stop hurting. And the only way to escape it is this idea in your head of just ending it because that's all your life is at that point is pain. There's no rational argument against it. If, if you know someone who's in that situation, you can tell them anything you like. You're not going to change their minds. The only thing that can change their minds is fixing the underlying problems. And whether that's chemical problem or whether it's, um, you know, some kind of addictive uh, drug or if it's just, uh, you know, psychological, you know, uh, childhood trauma or a more recent trauma or something else that just won't get out of their heads. There is nothing, no argument that will stop them. So I, I wish I'd sat down with Tim and just had a good old chat and a laugh. That's what I wish I'd done. Um, but when I got the call a couple of days later from a friend who said, uh, the, uh, Tim's bedroom door is locked. Um, we can't hear him inside. What should we do? I immediately said, break the door down now because I knew. I knew exactly what had happened. It was almost as if uh, I actually knew, like, you know, that it was psychopathically knew that I'd felt his spirit slip away somehow while I slept and, and, and I was just certain. I was just 100% certain. And uh, that guy called back and confirmed it. Uh, he said, Harvey has shot himself. And uh, surprise was certainly not the emotion that I felt, but I certainly felt numb and responsible and went through all of that pain that it causes. And it's still painful now, you know, it's still, it still hurts. It's still confusing. And, uh, you know, I've got this story. I've got it straight in my head. I just told it to you. It's very ordered. I tell the same story to 
go, everyone, it's the story I tell myself. That's how it happened. But there really is a lot of doubt around all of it. And as certain as I might sound about myself, uh, you just can't get away from these nagging feelings that somehow you're responsible or somehow you could have done something. And I think that's why people use that, you know, that sort of uh, argument. Um, no one knew. No one knew. No one could tell. Because if you can't tell, you can't uh, be responsible. And in my case, I say I could tell, but there was nothing I could do because I know I've researched it. There's nothing I could do. But there probably was. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, I found this article and uh, it's it talks about suicidal ideation. Um, and that's the concept of just people when they get it into their heads that they think suicide might be a viable option. And the article goes through a number of words, trigger words that you can listen for in a depressed friend to detect if they might be thinking about suicide. And I, look, I don't know about the veracity of this, but I thought it'd be worth going through. Now, it turns out the 19 words are really all the same thing. The key difference is that the person will start to use words that are um, grounded in absolutism. So they'll use the word, well, absolutely, of course, that's, that's one of the most absolute words. Um, you know, all, always, complete, constant, definite, entire, everything, everyone, full. If people are starting to talk in, you know, parabolistic, uh, hyperbole, I don't know what, what, I don't know words. I just told my suicide story. I'm a little bit shaken up. All right. So forgive me. But um, yeah, apparently according to this article in psychology today, I assume it's based on some pretty good research. But as I said, I didn't really research this podcast much. Um, maybe it's something to watch for during the holiday period. If you have a friend that you've got sort of, you know, is uh, struggling a bit. Um, I don't know what you should do if you do detect this. Um, but in my opinion, completely uneducated, non-medical, um, untrained opinion you could probably just sit with them, you know, and listen. And that may make a difference. It may make a difference. It may not. But uh, if you sit and listen, at least, you know, you'll connect with them before they do it. And it may just make a difference too. You just don't know for sure. But you don't need to worry about me. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Uh, my parents raised me non-violently and I was given every single opportunity that someone could be afforded. There's just nothing in my life to complain about. And yet when I'm in Australia, I, I often feel what, I don't know, in my head I kind of term a, a form of psychological claustrophobia. You know, I feel like things are closing in on me, like my very spirit is being sucked out of me one drop at a time. 
like dried desert air sucking the moisture out of a sponge. That really is the picture I get in my head when I'm here. I just feel like uh, financially and uh, energetically and emotionally, everything's just getting sucked out of me by unseen forces, by nothing in particular. And I don't feel that way in other places around the world, which is, I think, why I spent a lot of time living overseas. And I've never really understood this feeling or how it works. I know it's somehow all related. I don't quite know how. Is it capitalism? Is it family expectation? Is it societal pressures? And it's, it, it really is what drives me, this question, how is it that someone who has a relatively good life and has had everything handed to them still have that feeling of choking down on an epic sadness, you know, this ball that sits in the pit of your stomach, no matter how much abundance life affords me. Emotional pain is like a language. And the, the, the trick is we just don't speak it fluently. We understand it intuitively, but because we're rational human beings, we don't trust that intuition. So even though I know that I have this sadness in me, I don't really recognize it. I don't acknowledge it. I just push it aside or squash it down. And I just keep going, knowing that because my life is good and I have everything I need and anything that I could possibly want, I must be happy. And, and, and I kind of am. I don't even know how to define happiness in a way that doesn't fit how I feel. But that ball is always there. And I do wonder how much, you know, my friend's suicide created that ball or whether or not it's created by something else or whether it's just something that happens with everyone. It's just a balance out, a, a negative emotion to balance out the positive ones. These are questions that are ongoing and, uh, you know, we'll explore them more in future episodes, I'm sure. But, you know, back to Christmas, with the advent of social media, it's almost like it's Christmas 24-7 and we're bombarded with images of how we're supposed to feel, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to think. And when that doesn't happen to match up with what's inside us, what's in our hearts and our souls, it creates this dissonance. And that dissonance can manifest in negative feelings. And I think, again, non-expert, non-medical, untrained opinion I think that dissonance might be at the core of that feeling, that depression, the one that I'm managing to keep at bay, but for others, it grows out of control. It's not rational, but it's, it's not causeless either. And if you understand the stories that you're told and how they affect you, my hope is that we can take them with the grain of salt that they deserve and become immune to that holiday trap, the marketing traps. Um, just remember, every ad you see is trying to make you feel bad in one way or another. It's trying to make you feel inadequate. Um, and they might look like they're positive, just like Christmas looks like a positive thing. But at the end of the day, the goal is still to make you consume. And as we go into the holidays, if you know someone who is feeling it during the holiday period. You know, sit with them, put a hand on their shoulder, 
Don't tell them they're wrong to feel the way they're feeling. Just be there, you know, just show them they're not alone. And, and whatever you do, don't tell them they're crazy because they're not. We all feel this uh, in, in different degrees. And if you happen to be the one feeling it yourself, uh, just know you're not alone. You and I can sit together and just feel our balls of frustration and embedded pain. You know, it's, it's just the pain of life. That's all it is. It's, can't we just compensate for that by putting out more love into the world? There is a purpose to all of this, and there's a purpose to our pain. We're suffering for experience, and experience is valuable. Story is valuable. And whether or not you believe it's the meaning of life, like we spoke about in the last podcast, just know it'll pass. The pain will pass. And you could probably get into a mindset where you might even find that you savor the pain while you're feeling it, that you enjoy it and you draw something from it, you know? Write something down in those moments. Talk to a camera or a microphone or a fucking stranger on the street, but share the pain and connect. Use it to connect with people. We're not just emotions because we feel emotions. We're not our thoughts because we hear those in our head. We're not electromagnetic signals or chemicals excreted by glands in our body. They're all separate from us. We, we are not instinct or need or want. Those things can only drive us if we let them. You think you're rationality. But why is rationality a voice in your head? If you can hear a voice in your head that's telling you what you think, then what's the thing listening? And that thing is self, whatever that means. We're, we're conscious awareness. We're whatever this thing is that is listening to the flow of voices in our heads and evaluating them and choosing what to act. We're will. And, you know, if you listen, those voices can spin up some pretty fucked up stories if you let them. But most of all, buy me a fucking Christmas gift this year or I'll fucking block you on social media. (laughs) 